there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, happy Saturday. You made it. Time to take a little break, grab some coffee, turn up your radio, and hopefully we can help you make some money. Wolfgang Klein here, Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Jack Hartle, producer of the show, my co-host and good buddy. Got a good show lined up for you. We're going to talk real estate. Very, very important to all of us with our good friend, Niels Christensen, and he's got his lad, Evan, in the studio to help out. And we're then going to move over towards technology, uh, kryptonite, cryptology, blockchain, oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. It's been a burning, burning topic for the last couple of weeks, so we've got to get up to speed with Michael Graham, one of our analysts, and Rob Young, another analyst with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. But let's talk real estate. Ready to sing along? Perhaps not. Anyways, Niels Christensen from the Christensen Realty Group and his son Evan Christensen are in the studio. Uh, real pleasure to have you in, uh, Niels. I've known you for I don't know thirty years now. I think long time, long time. And uh, you, you've been a good fellow. You've had your pulse on the West End market realty business for for some 30 years. I think you do a very, very good job. Uh, so I want to thank you for coming into the studio. And it's nice to see Evan, your son, in the studio. He's growing up to be a very, very fine lad, uh, doing a very, very good job. So the next uh, generation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the next generation kicking in. I think, I think that's fantastic. I think you're very fortunate that you could start a business, Niels, and uh, see your see your children uh, moving, moving your footsteps. It's fantastic. But the real estate market uh, lately has been a little soft. And uh, when I spoke with you a couple of weeks ago, you said, you know, it's funny, Wolf, because your business of dealing with the equity market markets and the bond markets or the currency markets are very similar to the real estate market, specifically when it comes to prices. Um, you know, the equity markets are very, very transparent and they're priced instantaneously every day. Real estate, a little less so. Uh, we see prices through what our neighbor got for their home. And some folks, I think, have uh, neighbor envy uh, in that uh, thinking about selling a house, their neighbor got a million and that was six months ago, but today when you consult with someone like that, perhaps a million is no longer the correct number for the house. Yeah, that's exactly the case uh, today. What, what I'm seeing and the analogy made between uh, the real estate market and the equities market is uh, apropos. Um, but what we've enjoyed in Toronto over the last number of years, uh, and I've been doing this business for 30 years now, so I've seen the cycles, the up and down cycles. But over the last, I would say, 10 years, we've enjoyed a very, very strong seller's market. But what's happening right now, and the media gets all over this about, you know, the market's in the tank and it's changing and it's declining. That's not the case. We're, we're transitioning back to what I would describe more of a normal market. What we've seen in the spring of this year where, you know, the uh, the the, the, the sort of almost on every single property that you saw coming for sale, there was a lineup of people waiting to buy it and, you know, prices were selling over the asking price. In some respects, that was more of a marketing gimmick on on behalf of some agents. But 
we're transitioning from that market to more of a balanced market uh, where uh, prices aren't uh, the same as they were in the spring, and they aren't going to be realized uh, the same as they were in the spring. But sellers that are coming to the market now in the fall market still have an expectation, a price expectation of uh, what was going on in the spring market. Right. And that's, that's no longer uh, available. Yeah, no, no, because behavioral finance is actually a new science, eh, Jack? And, and Jack and I have been doing a little bit of work on the topic of behavioral finance. Uh, but I think what you're referring to is price anchoring, correct, Jack? Yeah, anchoring bias where you look at the, the previous price and think, obviously, like you said, it, it's fixed in their head that they deserve that price or that they would expect to at least receive a similar price or valuation when, in fact, the markets change for various reasons. Yeah, I mean, in real estate, there's an emotional aspect to it, too. And one of the hardest uh, parts of my job when I'm pricing property is to very delicately explain to people that have lived in their home 40 years that emotional value has no basis in the marketplace. And pricing is a, is a function of market. It's not, it's not what I think of the house. It's not what the seller thinks of the house. It's what the buyer thinks of the value of the house. It's a function of the marketplace and doesn't really care whether you have a, a blue kitchen or a pink kitchen, right? So that's, it's a hard thing for a lot of sellers to get. Uh, and to for, the people that are, right. for the people that are anchoring back to that price that you talked about back in the spring, uh, what, what's your advice to them at this moment in the market? Well, there are two types of sellers. I mean, sellers that have, uh, that have uh, bought up in the spring market, perhaps they bought a property in the spring and they paid uh, X dollars for it in a competitive uh, uh, environment where they were bidding on the house, and they have a house now to sell. Ooh, well, yeah. um, they're going to have to get very, very real on price if they're going to uh, close. A lot of the banks now are not um, uh, evaluating or, or these houses aren't appraising out on what the purchase prices were, were uh, realized in the spring. Yeah, and that's going to get obviously compounded in January as the mortgage rules are about to change. Look, Niels, we got to pay some bills around here, my friend. So stick around, folks. We're going to learn a little bit more about the prices of homes in the greater GTA on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto, right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yeah. Good morning. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, our house. Talking Heads, what a great band they were. Lots of fun, lots of fun. They don't make stuff like that anymore. That's what I got to say, but I'm getting old. Uh, but you know something? Owning a home, it's never too old to own a home. Uh, Niels Christensen from the Christensen Real Estate Group and his son Evan Christensen are in the studio just to talk about the changing landscape of real estate prices. Personally, I, I think the uh, balanced market that you're referring to, Niels, is a good thing. I have children. You're, here you have your son. Uh, I'm sure your son, you, you, you actually home, uh, own a home, don't you, Evan? Yeah, I do. I own a condo. You, uh, you, own, you own a condo. So yeah. again, typical of a fortunate, shall I say, millennial. But uh, again, your first home purchase these days is a condo. My first home purchase was a home. Correct, wasn't much yeah. of one, but and I didn't buy it from your father, by the way. That was my, my, <laughs> my, my first purchase was the biggest mistake you can make in real estate, and that is buying a poor location, location, location. And so when I met your dad and mother, they took me into a good location, location, location. So They gave boy, you some boy, education. <laughs> they gave me some education. Actually, it was, I think it was uh, a friend of mine at the time as well who helped me out. But uh, anyway, location, location does matter. The market gave you an education, I think. It did give me, absolutely. One, right? And it's funny because that, that first home I bought in 1990, 
I was, 19, I was 1990, uh, just before the peak of that real estate market, because uh, you know, real estate does correct. And again, I think we're blindsided by real estate prices, because as you said, Niels, prices have gone basically straight up for the last 10 years. And it's funny, because at the last move of the cycle, this is this like the stock market, Niels, at the very end of the move, Jax truly believes it is most parabolic. You get the greatest lift in prices at the end of the move. And that's exactly what we saw with real estate. How, how high were prices year over year uh, at the peak? The change was about like 22%. It's insane. Like, like real estate going up. 22% just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin, sure. You know, but yeah. real estate, 22 points. Income, uh, incomes weren't going up 22%. N- not, nothing not, was. not too many anyway. No, there was deflation. The economy's been soft. Okay, interest rates were very, very low, but it was that final burst. And that's very toxic because if you're the last man in and you got to get out, boy, oh boy, there's the, it's not a pretty picture. So some pain is being felt, but balanced market's good. I have kids. I want my children to be able to afford a home in, in Toronto in 15 or 20 years when they're, when they're of age to purchase. And so it was really daunting. So it, it's a good thing. But again, now the government's stepping in and putting uh, more uh, uh, restrictions on lending. They're putting uh, mortgages through an asset test. Can mortgages uh, and, and mortgagors uh, sustain higher interest rates, which means the amount that they're going to be able to borrow is going to get reduced. That's going to affect Canadian bank earnings. Jack and I trimmed one of our banks this week specifically because of the change in mortgage rules, Niels. But are are you sensing anything in terms of like some pent-up demand right now, people trying to get in ahead of? Yeah, there definitely is that. I mean, the the stats from uh, the Real Estate Board or Toronto Real Estate Board, we refer to it as TREB. Um, The stats for the the most recent uh, sales between September and October are up almost 12%. And there's some suggestion that the the changes in the mortgage rules that are coming into place in January are, are, are having an effect on that. Um, the fair housing plan that the government introduced earlier this year, you know, with the tax on foreign buyers, I mean, it, it really softened the Vancouver market. But then the Vancouver market started to come back, and we're actually seeing a very robu- very robust fall market in Toronto right now, particularly in the condominium sector. That's even busier than the freehold sector. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you, the... Um, it's it's any any market whether it's real estate equities i think a balanced market is is more fair it's not a good thing to have it so weighted one when you see a house selling with 15 offers on it well great for the seller that they hit the jackpot but 14 buyers weren't able to buy and that's a problem mm-hmm. you know, it, got, so it becomes think, a very much emotional trade yeah uh, and the fact you know fear and greed kick in the fear of missing out and the fear of you know i miss out on the next house and the next house am i ever going to get into this market and it makes people, you know, make irrational decisions with their That's why their I bought money. in 1990, Jack. Yeah. The house I bought. That's exactly why I bought well, it. You bought just before the uh, the last recession. Correct. It was great timing. And, uh, you know, Jack, what I... No, sorry, Niels. I, I bought in 1990, which was terrible timing. When I met you, it was 96 at the bottom of the market. So I moved up market yeah. on a very weak, as we would say, a weak tape. I rebalanced my portfolio and moved up the quality uh, spectrum. Yeah. I go back to when you're trading stocks, my friend, the best stocks to trade, the ones Jack and I try to focus on are the leaders. Buy number one and number two in the sector, you'll you have a greater probability of making money. Don't buy crap. Don't yeah. buy crap real estate. I learned that. Don't buy crap equities. And as Warren Buffett referred to them, let's give us the Warren Buffett line about the cigarette butts, Jack. You Warren Buffett, uh, he, he used to buy cig- pick I, a pick, pick I, the I cigarette was, butts out of ashtrays for the oh, last puff. he takes puff. the last puff. The last puff of oh, a cigarette butt. Yeah. He said, but don't do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to... Uh, Wolf, uh, Jack, last week uh, about uh, my confusion in the marketplace. What I don't understand is when the market transitions, 
uh, right now, I think there's some excellent, excellent buying opportunities. Yeah, I'm finding and yet buyers aren't doing anything; they're waiting. And I know in the condo market right. downtown, Evan sees this. It's amazing. But yeah, we, we spoke about this again, Evan. I want you to pipe in here. But yeah. you know, I spoke with this your dad because when the market is on sale, no one wants to buy. It's a herd mentality. Almost, it it right? is yeah. a herd. So again, yeah. the same in the equity. Everyone wants to buy Bitcoin right now yeah, until yeah. it goes down twenty percent a day. Then they don't want it, and then when it starts, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm finding I'm uh, calling people from that lost out in the the spring of this past year and telling them to get back in the market right now and they're getting great buys they're getting people buying property that the banks are going in and they're paying prices and the banks are actually appraising over what they're paying Let me, so, but, so what kind of what kind of price adjustment shall we say let's be polite in the morning here it's saturday morning after all what kind of price adjustments have we seen seriously from peak to current 15 20 percent yeah yeah, yeah to, you know, but 10, but 10, 15, and le- but less less so yeah. Evan in the condo market because you're you obviously specialize a little bit more than your dad in the condo market, yeah, right? Because of your dad my, likes a riding tractor type front lawn yeah, type thing. I don't like cutting grass. No, so. your dad does. <laughs> um, yeah, the condo market's still very strong. There's a limited supply of really really good condos. Hard downtown. to believe, eh? But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, we have we have Mr. Lamb on the air quite a bit. I'm dropping names, but we like Brad, yeah. and uh, he said the same thing. There's lots of demand for condos. There's not a lot, not enough supply. Of course, the rental market is a whole other discussion, isn't it? Well, that's on fire too. Yeah, well, because again, but there's no supply in the, there's the restrict- no supply. And, and you know, I, I've heard uh, Brad Lamb speak earlier about the uh, uh, the stupidity of uh, city planning. How uh, th- there's just no inventory, and it's it's not a good uh, the, the, the city council in this uh, city isn't looking far enough forward on on what they can do to make housing uh, affordable. There's no inventory. You can you can see it in uh, the whole multiple offer situation. Um, houses generally aren't selling with multiple offers right now, but condos still are. So you're not seeing that 20 offers, but you're seeing maybe two, three, four, five on good condos. So there, it's still very strong. It's a great time to sell condos, but it's a good time to buy as well. So. Well, you heard it here from the Chris. Christensen Group, folks. Uh, Evan Christensen, Niels Christensen. You know, if you're in your 30s, Evan could take good care of you. And, well, if you're a little older, Chris, uh, Niels can take care of you. Uh, <laughs> wonderful, 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 wonderful uh, uh, brokers, uh, ethical, honest, uh, hardworking, and they know the market. Uh, and, you know, some, working with pros makes a big difference because you, you don't buy crap, you buy quality. Uh, I learned the hard way, my good friends. Stay tuned. We're going to move from real estate to kryptonite right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Ah, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, AM 640, Toronto. I'll get that right at some point. Uh, Michael Graham is on the line. Uh, you're in New York, are you, Michael? Yes, I am. How are yeah. you? Oh, I'm terrific, thank you. We've had you on the show a couple of times, and we just never get enough time with you, Michael. You're such a smart guy. Uh, again, Michael Graham is one of our analysts. Uh, he covers the Fang complex. Facebook, Apple, Amazon. They threw Microsoft in there, Google. And if you owned them this year, you made yourself some money. And if you owned a lot of them, well, you outperformed the market. But if you didn't, you lagged. Uh, so Cyber Monday has come and gone. American Thanksgiving, Turkey Turkey was good, I guess. Hey, Michael? Yeah, so you're too kind. Uh, and um, you're right. Uh, Fang has you know, been a, a, an amazing you know, group of stocks. Uh, and as you mentioned, I cover, um, I cover all but one of the A's, which is Apple, which is covered by my... Uh, by my close colleague Mike Walkley, eighteen hundred bucks up here. You believe that eighteen hundred bucks that uh, that Apple ten X uh, two fifty six gig? That's a lot of money, man. That's a lot of money. That's yeah, Canadian and dollars, that's... right? That's a problem when you have a loony as opposed to an eagle. 
<laughs> just goes to show you how, you know, how valuable these smartphones have become. And, um, you know, we're looking at Fang and for the most part feeling pretty constructive on fundamentals. I mean, you know, about six months ago, we downgraded Google uh, or Alphabet, and we did so because we felt like the revenue growth was going to slow down a bit and they were going to have some gross margin pressure, and we still feel that way. Uh, and, you know, we've got a $1,000 price target there, and the stock is sort of right there. Um, Can I hold so it? Because I do own that stock, and you mentioned this to me because we call you every now and then, check on our names with you. So we, we're still long Google, Jack and I. We want to, gee, should we sell it? We've got a nice gain in it. I like the stock. I get the stocks. It's a tough one, and it? It's above your target price, eh? Well, I mean, the way we look at Google is, um, is, you know, it probably is a good stock relative to a lot of the other stuff available to you in tech. And it's probably a good stock, you know, relative to a lot of other companies you can buy outside of tech. Um, but we're really focused in on how does it compare relative to Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix. Yeah. Because that's really its competition within Internet. And, and we just like the fundamentals in those other three stocks better. You know, we feel like the growth is going to be um, higher and, you know, it probably has a longer period for, for, for the high growth, too. So um, I don't, you know, I think Google's fine. It's in fine shape and they're going to keep, you know, executing. But relative to those other ones, you know, we feel like those other ones are probably better opportunities. Hey, let me ask this on Facebook, because again, Jack and I did buy Facebook, because the trend is your friend, and we were fighting it for too long, and I said, you just got to get on top of the stock. So we bought a bit of Facebook, got a good position in it now. But I am concerned about it, because my kids laugh at me, all right? You know what I'm talking about. They're 10, they're 13, and uh, God, I'm so uncool, which we all know anyways, but they have to remind me because I use Facebook and they're Instagramming away. I don't, I don't get Instagram. I don't like Instagram, but Facebook owns it. Uh, they have yet to monetize it. So I, the, the cannibalization, we're losing the youth on Facebook. We're picking them up on Instagram. Is it net neutral? Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, when, when Snapchat came public, uh, that was really the fear was that they were going to... That was a fail army, buddy. If, if, the, if the kids are listening to me, okay, I'm going to be cool. And that was a fail <laughs> army. Yeah, I mean, you know, my I came home from work the other day and I was uh, I was on a Snapchat call and my my 14 year old son just said nobody nobody's <laughs> you're using lucky Snapchat you actually do his account. My kids won't even give me the Snap account or chat account, <laughs> what the hell it is. But uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram are still you know super strong. Um, you know, Facebook is just powering through. Like we hear constantly from advertisers that Facebook is a really good platform for them to, uh, to achieve a good ROI on their ad spend. So it works. It's delivering results. Eh? Advertising results I, matter. Totally. Yeah, I totally think it's delivering results. And Instagram is, is, get, is early on in monetization, but still has a long way to go to catch up with, uh, with Facebook. So, you know, we, we still like that one. And, you know, the really important thing on Facebook is the users are still growing. The user base is still growing in the double digits. Good. And, uh, and the engagement of each user is still expanding with things like video and, you know, just more product uh, revamps. So I think Facebook's, you know, in a strong place right now. Well, baby boomers obviously use it and grandparents use it. So you know, they're doing something, right? And they have, what, install base or uh, user, active users globally about 2 billion with Facebook? Is that the number now? Yeah. And, and just, you know, like I said, still growing in double digits and doing a great job. Good for them. So, Mike, it's Jack here. Uh, the Fang Complex. Obviously, they're not cheap stocks, but they're growing quite well. Um, with tax reform on the table down in the states, uh, we're starting to see a bit of a, a sector change or a bit of a sector rotation. Oh, yeah. um, what are your thoughts on that? Is this the end of the Fang outperformance? Good question. Well, you know, we definitely do see that the valuations in all these stocks are are getting to a level where they're 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 getting more full. You know, I mean, all these Fang stocks are close to our previous price targets. Uh, uh, you know, for the most part, we haven't yet rolled them over to uh, 2019. I mean, we're still focused on sort of 2018 
earnings targets as the basis for our price targets for the big ones. So as we roll them over to 2019, there's you know some more room for upside. I think you know tax reform in, in some ways could be good for these companies. Um, you know there there's the potential for more buybacks and there's the potential for um, you know uh, lower rates. Uh, you know so I think they would benefit if we do you know end up with some tax reform. Um, and but but you're right. The, the, they're 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 somewhat expensive. You know, relative to uh, the recent history, uh, we still think you know we could probably get more out of them. And I don't know where else you can look in, 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 in to get that kind of growth. And just one quick comment, you know, we, we routinely do a screen of um, of all the companies in the U.S. that are greater than ten billion dollars in market cap that are growing revenue uh, at greater than twenty um, percent. And there are fourteen of those stocks in the U.S. stock market, and Four of them are the FANG stocks, so wow. you know, we feel good that they're going to continue to attract tech investment dollars. Okay, Mike, you know what i got to do right now. I'm going to put you on hold because we got to run a few commercials. You get it, right? Um, so we're going to do that. And I want to talk to you a little bit more uh, about cryptology uh, and blockchain. I think Jack's got a couple questions for you as well. So can you just hang out with us for another two minutes? Okay. Yeah, Thanks, buddy. good. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Ow. Good morning. Hi-Fi Radio Global News, 640 Toronto, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, producer of the show. Jack never knew he'd become a producer, and he's doing such a fine job producing Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Michael Graham is on the line in New York City. Good morning, Michael. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So, uh, look, Jack wants to ask you a few accounting questions about and tax harvesting or profit harvesting here about your FANG complex. Yeah, Michael, just with the, all the gains that we've talked about in the FANG sector, are you hearing like from institutional clients or hedge funds down there that they're not realizing their gains this year for 2017 and maybe deferring them to 2018 just with this tax reform on the table? Um, you know, I haven't heard that uh, in a lot of discussions, but it certainly makes sense. And, you know, we definitely do see tax implications impacting what investors are doing as we get into year end. You know, they tend to um, you know, also do window dressing for their performance, you know, sell losers, uh, reinforce winners, um, you know, for the year. So um, that all that stuff is, is happening here as we get through December. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about deferring, you know, uh, you know re- recognizing gains until next year, but I'm sure that it's happening. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, let's, let's switch gears here, Michael. This is in the interest of your time and our time. You put out a piece Crypto University, uh, CU 101. <laughs> Crypto There's assets. a 102 Cri- now. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. You, you missed the first but, class. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I had this piece here from, from Rob Lee. I guess it was a, it was a Bloomberg piece. And it, it said look, a currency is basically what people, what, what value people will assign to it, similar to cigarettes in prison, which are a kind of currency. And I said, oh, my God, what, what an analogy that is. But it's very you know, true. You know, Crypto has gone off the charts. You're know, talking specifically Bitcoin. And it was it this week. Jack, that Bitcoin intraday traded $11,000 and then corrected down to $9,400. It's the, Yeah, it's the third time, I think, this year that it's corrected uh, 25% or more. It's so, massive, massive volatility. Lots of talk in Canada, obviously, about Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. Uh, Michael, is it real? Is it a fad? You know, you're doing a lot of work on it. Uh, well, what do we need to know? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think there's, there, there's little doubt left that, that uh, digital currencies, cryptocurrencies uh, are real and that um, there is going to be a place for them on the landscape and um, potentially a, a, an extremely large space. Um, if you think about currencies, you know, historically, uh, well, interestingly, in researching for this, for this stuff, we figured out that the first, uh, security, the first security ever issued was a, was, was a bond in, the, in Mesopotamia, uh, you know, many, many, many hundreds of years ago, and, and the currency that it was transacted in was corn. You know, back to your point about cigarettes in prison, and it used to be seashells, and huh. it's sort of like any it sort was of corn. Of, it was corn, and, 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 and so, you know, if you think about fiat Peaches and cream. You know, the, the currencies that are, exactly, the currencies that are being held, you know, being issued by countries, um, that's a fairly arbitrary uh, assignment, right? Like, why should each country have their own currency? I, I know in Canada, you know, many, many years ago, each bank had its own currency, and, you know, what really is the right entity to sort of issue a currency and maintain it? And the problem with the fiat currencies, the U.S. dollar, the Canadian dollar, the euro and the like is that the supply is not um, limited. Is not limited. You know, the, the countries can print more money if they need to as a monetary tool, and obviously, you know, that's a big argument for gold, and that's why the gold bugs are so excited about about that about that. But know, is, uh, Michael, I want to ask you a question about this because I've, I've been I've been behooved by it because uh, as an economy. Global economy, local economy expand. Shouldn't the monetary base expand with it? You know, capping the amount of currency, I don't know if that makes perfect sense because in 100 years, the global economy will be a lot bigger than it is today. So you would need more money to circulate. Am I missing something? Well, um, you need more total monetary value, but you don't necessarily need more, um, more units of currency. Right, they're okay. Worth, they're just worth more, you know. So, so no more corn. Limit, limit, limit the yeah. corn. Yeah, there will only be ever 21 million bitcoins, uh, and the and the units it's divide it's divisible by is 21 million times 10 to the eighth. I believe that's 100 million times 21 million. So that's how many. Those are like pennies or dollars, right? That's how many units you're going to have uh, ever. But the point is, you can you can invest in or use bitcoin as a store of value, uh, and you can be confident that the supply is never going to exceed that. And now that's not the same. For every digital currency, but but it is but it is for Bitcoin. So now, now let me ask you another question because again, Jack and I are trying to get educated in the space. You know, we're getting a lot of uh, folks coming down into our offices and doing presentations. There's some new product coming to market where people can indirectly uh, have exposure to Bitcoin. But this one individual said to us, he said, in the last 12 months, 29 terawatts of electricity were used to maintain the Bitcoin blockchain. 29 terawatts of power is what the poorest 160 nations, which is three quarters of the world's nations, consumed in electricity. So this blockchain maintenance is very, very costly. The, the fiat currency I have in my pocket costs nothing to hold that piece of paper in my pocket. Yet to maintain this blockchain, you have to pay these miners. And without them, the chain stops. Is that efficient? Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not efficient. And you know, the, the gotcha. amount of mining for, uh, for Bitcoin is, uh, <laughs> uh, is about a hundred times, you know, the computing power that Google uses. Right. So it's a lot as, as you point out. Hey, well, it's the world's, it's 11, I've heard 11,000 computers internationally. So it is the largest and that's what you're buying into, which actually, actually I like you're buying into all that computing power to maintain the efficacy of the data. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Bitcoin is the one, like, it, it operates, the miners operate on a proof-of-work um, uh, uh, method of verifying transactions, which basically means 
you've got to apply a lot of computing power and solve complex problems. Uh, Ethereum, which is the number two uh, digital currency, currently works on proof of work, but they're thinking of shifting it to a proof of stake, which would make the computational intensity far lower. Um, and you also have you know, some other uh, versions of Bitcoin, like Bitcoin Cash, which are a little bit more efficient as well. So, and sorry, Michael, we have to wrap up here, but one final question, if you don't mind. How many cryptocurrencies are currently in existence? I believe the number is just over 1,300. Really? 1,300 currencies? And, and we divide. Eh, and there's limited supply, is there? Ha! I don't know well, about that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, that's the difference between dollars and euros. Um, you know, we define, just, you know, super quick, we divide them up into things that are like currencies, uh, tokens that are like um, shares of, of equity. Uh, there are a lot of equity-like tokens out there. And then tokens that are uh, what we call utility tokens that are used to, um, by the users of the platform. Um, and it's a complicated space, but, um, but those are sort of the three. And the vast majority of those 1,300 fall into that last category, which is utility tokens. Well, I'm, I'm a big, I understand blockchain a lot better than I do understand cryptocurrencies. Uh, so anyways, look, Rob Young is going to be joining us uh, right after this break here, folks. That was uh, Michael Graham, a genius, a CFA in New York City this morning, joining us to help educate us on FANG and on cryptocurrencies. Michael, a real pleasure. Thank you. You have yourself a great weekend. Coming up next, folks, we're going to speak further about cryptology, cryptocurrencies, maybe even some Watts with Rob Young with Canaccord right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I think that's appropriate. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, 640 Toronto. A little craft work. Yeah. Oh, yes. We are getting techie, folks. Rob Young is in the studio with us, a tech analyst with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Very, very smart man. We're going to talk further about cryptology, kryptonite, cryptocurrency. Yep. Yep. It's all the rage, my good friend. What do you think? Take what over do you the think, world. Let's go back to what do you think about a power consumption to maintain that blockchain for Bitcoin? 29 terawatts. I don't care where you move up to Finland if you want. You're still using all that power. That's a lot of juice to maintain yeah. currency value. And my point then, my question then is once all the coins have been purchased or mined, Who's going to maintain that block, and are they going to be properly compensated for it? Because if they don't, the block crashes, and bye-bye. Wow, that's a lot of questions. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Rob Always Young. a pleasure being here. You're, you're a good guy. The um, Okay, so one of the interesting things about Bitcoin right now is there's only about 10 transactions every second. And if you think of what Visa's doing, it's probably over 1,000. I think I remember Poker Stars, the online poker. Mm-hmm. They, when they have the big tournaments, they can have you know multiples of that. But Bitcoin's running at 10. 
and it's it's consuming the amount of energy that you're talking about. I think someone said it's about the same as as Ireland. Who said as uh, it, it's an enormous amount of power. Well, no, I said I said it's 160 of the poorest countries in the world don't consume as much power as uh, the blockchain to maintain Bitcoin does. Absolutely, and it's not something people are talking about either. It's certainly going to come into the public consciousness over time that it wastes the, an enormous the, amount the, of power. We just yeah. spoke about on Hi-Fi Radio. The world now you heard knows. it first. Yep. You heard it here first, well, folks. In traditional mining, right, you look at what the, the base cost is of copper, of gold. It is the cost to produce it, typically, and cost to store it. So is that what the value, is that where they're deriving the value for cryptocurrencies from? Is no, I, I really don't think so. I think, you know, the value of cryptocurrencies, it's it's a speculative factor. It's supply and re- People demand People are right buying now. it on the assumption that they're going to be able to sell it for more. And so, really, it's the price in the future that people are expecting to get. I mean, we've done some work. Um, Mike Graham, who was just on, on the show just uh, before me, the, the two of us did some work on, you know, looking at the the uh, the supply of these cryptocurrencies and looking at the demand for these currencies to try to, you know, get to a, a value. But it, it really is very academic. Wow. So the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, um, they are going to be uh, launching future contracts uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, and they're still working on the logistics and the margin that they were going to require to put, put down is going to be greater. Uh, th- th- that's going to be very, very interesting to see how this thing plays out. Because number one, buying Bitcoin, you and I to buy Bitcoin is no easy feat. It is very difficult to buy Bitcoin. Anti-money laundry kicks in. Uh, they want to know source of funds. It is difficult and slow to move. You cannot trade Bitcoin today efficiently and effectively. You know, Jack and I, this morning, we, we, we ripped through, what, seven, eight million bucks worth of stock. We sold a bank. We bought an insurance company. Uh, and within seconds, uh, you know, a thousand accounts had a new position in their, in their account. Uh, doing that with Bitcoin can't do it. Uh, not yet. But now that they're going on the exchange, how do you put it, Jack? Do you, I like the way you phrase in terms of the big boys going to be playing with the kids and eh? uh, yeah, I think some of the millennials might get a lesson in trading when they get on the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange <laughs> when they're trading with guys that have a bit more experience than they do. You know, that's the funny thing is, Rob, because every presentation that Jack and I go to when it comes to Bitcoin and blockchain, the 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 presenters are getting younger. It is mm-hmm. scary, my friends. Super like, smart they, guys, though. No, no, mm-hmm. Super smart. My point, but they're like, at least I'm waiting for the 16-year-old to come in and give us the, the lecture on, on why it's so great. It's, it's, it's incredible. It is. Uh, it yep. is actually there's uh, there was someone who was writing about the uh, the growing uh, knowledge and uh, around Bitcoin. Google does this thing called Google Trends, where you can look at the volume of searches. And right now, Bitcoin is trending six or seven times higher than Kim Kardashian. So I don't know if that means that Bitcoin's doing really well or Kim's doing really bad, but uh, that certainly says it, a lot it, about what Bitcoin it, is. It shows you about the supply demand imbalance yeah. right now. There's a lot of demand out there, and it's very difficult to buy. And that's why I think you're seeing the price appreciation. It's not because it's yeah. difficult to mine or the cost to maintain the system. It's because people want it and they can't get it. Yeah. Bubbles are always created by the supply side, right? It's always a limited resource that people want to crash into. So it's probably what's happening It's a here. consistent theme for sure in any bubble. It's the same as Toronto real estate market. There's only so much land in Toronto, right? We saw that in the spring. We just talked about it earlier in the show. And what you're saying, Wolf, about uh, you know the idea of having futures, the idea, and one of the issues that institutional owners have is custody, like the ability to have a third party that will hold these assets for you in a safe way. That there's a lot of these functions that are starting to come into the market that are going to make this more palatable for an institutional owner, and that's going to add another piece to the puzzle. The, I say the issue they may have too with the trading on the futures market. There's future limit up and limit down. We've talked about Bitcoin trading outside of those limits well, all the time. Like, yes. Yeah, on a daily basis, basically. Yeah, the, the, the CME wants orderly exchange and orderly transactions, right. yeah. yeah. So and it should hopefully smooth that. that out. Yeah, they'll get rid of some of that volatility that just you know whipsaws people back and forth. Like the, the idea of Bitcoin is it's a, it's a store of value, and it's also a way to you know pay for things. Medium of exchange. 
But if you're paying for things and you you know you take Bitcoin for it and, and the value of that Bitcoin changes before you can turn it into cash, it makes it very unusable. So if you can you know some of these financial tools in the markets that you know help uh, uh, the existing markets if they can be leveraged on Bitcoin, you can make you know smooth it out, make it more usable. Yeah, I want to look. We're gonna pay some bills around here, my good friend, to keep this network running. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the Ethereum network. It's quite different than Bitcoin, and it has not necessarily limited supply as much. But it's a very very powerful dynamic that I think it actually makes a lot more sense to me. Hang around. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Waka, 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 waka. Oh, yeah. I'm going to spin the, spin, spin the tunes, my friends. We lick them again. It's my old friend, Headley Jones. The wheels of steel, sort of. Anyways, Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Rob Young, our cryptologist. <laughs> uh, a good friend, analyst with Canaccord. Very, very tech-savvy guy. Here to help us learn more and more about Bitcoin. So the, uh, I guess the sister or the cousin of Bitcoin that we all know is, is it Ethereum? Um, that, that blockchain is interesting. It's very, very different. And that's the blockchain that it appears that businesses will be sitting on top of and conducting their peer-to-peer, perhaps, transactions. Is that correct? Yeah, well, let me just say Ethereum. It's a it's a Canadian invention. It comes oh. uh, the the person who started it came from Toronto, Vitalik I, Buterin. I did not know. Probably that. doesn't get uh, the uh, amount of attention that it should. It's I mean, if you're to look at the size of Ethereum, it's you know the biggest tech company in Canada. If it was a company, it's not, but it's certainly successful, and we should you know acknowledge it comes from Canada at least in part. Um, I think we should too. That's good. It's a it's a different type of network. It uses a blockchain, um, but it allows you to run programs inside of the network. So whereas Bitcoin just allows you to move value or to hold value, Ethereum allows, it opens up a whole universe of things you can do because you can actually run programs in it. And so the idea is that you're going to have these things called what they call smart contracts. Or if I use another analogy, it's kind of like taking a a term sheet you might get from a lawyer and converting it into a piece of software, which you can run. So the wet code in your lawyer's brain gets turned into dry code in the blockchain and um, that's what ethereum does and so there's all this interesting application way above and beyond bitcoin and it's slightly different Uh, the mining is different Uh, right now it's a proof of work like mike said before and so it does use a fair amount of um, uh, computing resource but it's going to move to a different type of uh, mining method called uh, proof of stake, which could reduce that. And so, you know, s- some interesting things on the horizon out of Ethereum. Now, Jack, in one of the presentations you went to, you said to me, you said, well, great presentation. Uh, and I just learned that there's a gold standard, there's silver, and there's copper in the world of cryptocurrencies. Right. So the, the Bitcoin is a store of value. Mike was talking about that. That's your gold, the gold standard. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about Bitcash which is easier to mine, easier to maintain, and easier to make do transactions with. So that would be the, the cash supplement, I that guess. That would be where, silver. You, yeah. And then yep. uh, Ethereum, like you said, it would be like the plumbing in the economy. It'd be like uh, the copper. So if you use an analogy of base metals, precious metals. 
That is it. No, no, Bitcash, Rob. So, so what is Bitcash? I, I've sort of heard of it. So but- Bitcoin Cash, there's these, there's been these forks in Bitcoin. Do you remember I mentioned the- All you the know, forks, right. There's the, um, you know, the number of transactions is like 10 per second. One of the big problems with Bitcoin is that you just can't do a lot of transactions. And so the network, the people in the network have been trying to find ways to, to improve the number of transactions. And Bitcoin Cash is a fork, which changes the, you know, some of the fundamental pieces and make it move a little quicker. But it hasn't, caught on to the same degree as Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been running for, you know, since 2008, uh, 2009. And so it's going to take a, a while for uh, Bitcoin Cash to catch up. But I mean, it certainly has been moving in the right direction. So in, in terms of the various um, blockchains out there, which one grabs your attention most? Which one has the most applications available to it that are going to actually be put into play? Well, I mean, I I think Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum is the one that is getting the most corporate Support uh, and, and, and by who? Like what, what corps are, are, are you? I think it was like the IBMs, the large bellwether tech companies. It, it, it would be the one. It would be the ledger that would be used in right. settlements, uh, settling futures. If you're looking at real estate transactions, being able to track those. Those are all the types yeah. of transactions that you. There's a lot of people manage think on that, Ethereum. People who think that you know the the transaction of a home could eventually run in a blockchain, and the program which would formalize the transfer of a home would be a piece of software that runs in Ethereum, and yeah. so H- hence the plumbing for the economy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly, fascinating stuff. Right. Um, so, what other applications are catching your attention? Uh, well, those are the big ones. There's a lot of interesting. I mean, the idea of identity. There's a, a coin out there called Civic, which uh, it, it helps uh, individuals, um, you know, prove who they are. Uh, and of course, that's a big problem given you know privacy now, and you know the fact that people are having their identities stolen and and hacked. And so this is maybe a potential yeah, solution scary there. Stuff. Yeah, there's there's a browser out there called Brave, which you know could you know tip the advertising world on its head. Right now, when you go onto a website, you've got all these ads, and um, the idea is they could flip it around and use a crypto coin so that you're actually paying the content owner. So instead of if I want to go, you know, hit the Wall Street Journal for an article, instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a yearly subscription, maybe I'm I want to pay, you know, five cents for an article. And right now, that doesn't work on credit cards because of the minimum transaction value, but it could work with a cryptocurrency. And it's so, funny because one of the guys that we saw speak, he bought a T-shirt with some Bitcoin, uh, I guess about a year ago. Expensive <laughs> became, t-shirt. the most expensive t-shirt he bought his entire yeah. life. Rob Young, analyst with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, just helping us get a little more tech savvy in this ever-changing world of ours. That is it for our show here, folks. Hi-Fi Radio will be back next week on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.